Yes, I hit record and then cough. Well, now we know what a cough sounds like on this microphone. Impressive. Testing, one, two, three. Welcome to Jeff and Amy at the Well, episode 18 or episode 3, depending on which church you're from. <laughs> it is good to sit down with my favorite person in this world who I will butter up because I am sure to dig that hole deep before we're done. Yeah, you'll earn it back, that's for sure. Um, yes, I am Amy. Um, we should say entirely who we are. I'm Jeff Slater, pastor of Trinity United Methodist in Lincoln. I'm Amy Slater, pastor of Southgate United Methodist here in beautiful Lincoln, Nebraska, on a very rainy and cold and windy day. So if you listen to this next summer, be jealous. If you <laughs> listen to it right now, I'm so sorry. It's miserable outside. <laughs> I don't know. I like this better than the really hot, humid that we've been getting. I kind of think it's, uh, it, it, well, I don't know if it's my fault. I'm surprised I didn't jinx it because just last night, Labor Day, I gave this little speech to our kids about unofficial end of summer and I, I fixed <laughs> this big, we grilled out like a very summery thing mm -hmm. to let's celebrate the end of the summer season and then the next day, boom, fall. Yeah, they're going to come to expect that every year, and then they're going to, the next year, we'll have Labor Day, and it'll still be hot, like, until mid-October. I'll tell them it was your fault. Of course, yeah. All right. They'll probably believe you. So. I have that much power over the weather. Our whole purpose here is to talk about unanswerable questions, of which we've posed several. <laughs> However, we had one posed to us. Well, I'm not so sure this one's unanswerable. I think this one has an easy answer. However. It's sticky getting there. Yeah. Okay. So the question comes from a member of my church uh, who is, has been a listener since uh, episode one of the renumbered numbers. Uh, <laughs> uh, Shirley asks, um, well, she's been thinking about who is our neighbor. She asks us to talk about who is our neighbor, and she's reflecting on uh, some issues in our state legislature. She says that this past session of our legislature drew stark contrasts on divisions between rural and urban matters, um, and the census is bound to show even more shifts to urban living. Um, and so how, what, what guidance does John Wesley give us in loving our neighbor, even in these kinds of divisions? There's, and, you know, I, I can't think of any other ways we as Americans are divided. <laughs> I was going to say urban and rural, but this last session of the legislature had plenty of race in it, too. Of oh, course. In fact, still is. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, as we record, there's still talk of perhaps uh, uh, convening a special session uh, because of race matters. Um, so I will admit... Uh, uh, with with some some regret that I have not kept up with some of the specifics uh, going on. Yeah, you all should know that we are we are uh, still relatively new to Nebraska. We've lived here a little over a year now, uh, in Kansas before that, and Amy in Missouri before that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll tell you, this part of it is really no different. The uh, urban versus rural thing happens in which in uh, between Wichita and Kansas City and the rest of Kansas too, mm -hmm. uh, just like it does here. Uh, in Nebraska, the race thing, of course, happens just the same way. This part, this part is familiar. But the state legislature is unique, and that is a unicameral. 
Oh, man. See how we're Nebraskans? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> one house instead of two, which I think is the only one in the country. But I believe so. Okay, believe now we're, get, we're, we're getting off the rails here. Uh-huh. So the whole neighbor thing comes from a story of Jesus. Now, I, perhaps we shouldn't take the time to read the whole thing, but could you at least read the uh, hit the high points? Is that you happen to have a Bible and I don't, so Why, that's yes, convenient. Yes, I do. You I also have a copy of John Wesley's sermons. We'll get to that in a minute. An anthology. Yeah. Thank you, Outler and Heights and Reader. Okay, so uh, the whole question of who is my neighbor is often uh, comes out of the context of, of the story of the Good Samaritan. And that comes out of a conversation. Here we are, Jeff and Amy at the well. We're all it's about conversations, point. right? So this is in Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And it starts with this conversation. A legal expert comes up to Jesus. They're, they're in the midst of all kinds of debate. And he asks, what should I do to gain eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you see in the law? You know, puts it back on him. And he recites, you know, some of the the, the usual right he, answers. He gives the Sunday school answer. The Sunday school answer, yes. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, wait, that's not it yet. Okay. Uh, but he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, being strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yep, you answer correctly. Do this and you will live. Could have, could have ended just right there and love, be fine. Love God and love your neighbor, right? Love yeah. God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, that's it. Yeah. So then the guy just he digs himself in a hole and he asks, who is my neighbor? And I, I always love just pausing on that for a moment to, to ponder, you know, what is he really asking when he's saying, who is my neighbor? And really, I always hear it as he's also asking, who's not my neighbor? Who right. do I not have to be worried about? You can't ask who is my neighbor without asking who's not. That's really what you're after, right? Right. And so then Jesus launches into the story that has become known as the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, he talks about a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was... Uh, a dangerous road. There'd be robbers on it. Yep. And which he encountered and they, they beat him up. They took everything he had and left him for death. And then um, a priest came by, saw him and walked by. A Levite, also another kind of priest, saw him and walked by. This does not let clergy look very good here. Yeah, and it's worth saying, by the way, that for all they knew, it could have been a trap. I mean, it could have been a robber posing as an injured person. Oh, that's true. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to add in moral complexity is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Jesus is kind of saying, well, you should have stopped anyway. Anyway, keep on. Yeah. So and then uh, the third person who comes uh, is a Samaritan. And that's uh, another ethnic group, oh, religious go, practice. We'll go I'm there later. Really what go is into that Samaritan is. Yeah. Yes. So um, Samaritan sees the person filled with compassion. He uh, addresses his wounds. He puts him on his donkey and takes him to the nearest inn. He leaves them there and tells the guy, take care of him and leaves money for his care. And when I come back, I'll pay you whatever. And they say, I'm sorry, there's no room at the inn. We can offer you this, uh, this manger instead. Don't confuse the stories. Oh, that's the other... Okay, keep keep on. You need to read your Bible, <laughs> mister. Um, yes. Is this the Bible? Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so the Samaritan takes care of him, makes sure that he's cared for, and um, the end of the story, Jesus asks the guy, 
What do you think? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? And the guy asked, the answer is obvious. The he, one who demonstrated, he couldn't even say Samaritan. He said the one yeah. who demonstrated mercy kinda toward him. Kind of hangs his head and mumbles the answer in my mind. Yeah. I, uh, it was the one that did the right thing. Yeah, he couldn't say Samaritan. Yeah. It had to be the, the mercy. So, um, yeah, mercy. That's That's how you love your neighbor in a way. So right. you want to talk about Samaritans more? Yeah, uh, and uh, okay. So I, I like, I love academia uh, because I'm weird, and I feel bad I don't have my proper footnotes here. I didn't have a chance to look up where I learned this, so please forgive me for having an unfootnoted reference. But my understanding is that the Samaritans, well, the history of the Samaritans goes back. They're they're yeah. Jews of a different stripe, right? They're uh, worshiping in high places, low places. You go back to Israel and Judah and all that. This kind of evolves yeah. out of this. Uh, however, what matters... So in other words, they have a shared rela- religious heritage. Yeah. And they believe mostly the same things, except for a few key points that they differ with. Yeah, I think the entire Torah is the same. Right. But in recent times things had become very tense. Recent to Jesus. Recent to Jesus. Yeah. Right, right, right. Recent to Jesus. Things had become very tense, even to the point of violence. And now this is the part I, this is the part that I, I wish I could footnote. And I, I, you know, if any of you really want to know, drop me a note and I'll, I'll, I'll look through my books. But there had been incidents where Samaritans had gone and had violent uprisings at the temple. Like they had actually gone to the temple and incited violence while they were there. The temple being the Jewish center of worship. In Jerusalem, yeah. Right, in Jerusalem. Part of the Samaritans being you don't need the temple, you can worship anywhere. Is I, am I, do I have that right or am I conflating my old high I, places and low places? Well, I mean, I think well, they come out of the northern kingdom and they set up their own high place, Shiloh, I think. Right, so nothing against the temple, but it's kind of a symbol of what the Jews do and they don't and... Uh, I I'm probably don't have this quite right. The point of this that matters, though, is that there had been violent uprisings that the Samaritans had brought to the temple. So we have a word for that in our modern-day language. Religious extremist terrorism. I mean, that's exactly what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what we're dealing with with uh, is uh, Islamic terrorism in the world. We have a shared religious roots and heritage. Going all the way back to Abraham. We're going back to Abraham in the same Torah here, in the Mm -hmm. case of Islam. Uh, And uh, at the same time, uh, most of them are quite nice, just like the vast majority of Samaritans were quite nice, as Jesus proved more than once. But there were extremists among them uh, in the Samaritans who who intentionally incited religious violence at the temple. So... When, when people in, in, uh, in Jesus' day, when the Jews encountered a Samaritan and they have this attitude, I think you can draw a direct line to the way we are tempted to think of people, uh, of Muslims today, uh, and kind of that fear, and fear that is wrong, but also rooted in something that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what does Jesus? So, so imagine, imagine this story happening like right after September 11th, mm-hmm. 
when all the flags were up, and I know nothing against the flag here, but there was that little period of patriotism right after, like of super patriotism. Oh yeah, everybody had a flag. Right, I did it too. Uh, I mean, of course I did. Yeah. Imagine in that day, Jesus saying, who is your neighbor? The guy in that plane. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is extreme what Jesus is saying here, and we miss mm-hmm. that today. Yeah, it does get lost because the, the term Samaritan today is synonymous with good deeds and kindness and caring oh, man. for others. Who doesn't have a grandma at the Good Samaritan Nursing Home? Yeah. We all do. Mm-hmm. Several. Yeah, it's, it's part you of our the vernacular, <laughs> too, even even in, like, secular discussions. You know, a good Samaritan stopped and helped a motorist or that kind of thing in the news. I'm stretching it a little far, but it's almost like good terrorist. No, it's, I'm stretching it a little far. Yeah. But there's there's an overtone there that we've yeah. forgotten. And, and your talk of that reminds of something that I just came across of. Are you aware of the Tri-Faith Initiative in Omaha? No. It's a, it's a oh, religious I think community. I uh, and the, with three three fa- uh, partner congregations um, of Christian, Muslim, and Jewish, I believe. I've, I've got their, awesome. their website pulled up here now. Trifaith.org, T-R-I-Faith.org. So just, well, you, know, you know. Again, yeah. we've been here a year now, and gosh, not quite half of it yet is COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one of the exciting things of coming to Lincoln is that I hope to do more uh, interreligious kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Anyway, so neighbor. Yeah. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, the one that's hardest to love, that. That's your neighbor. The one you fear, that is your neighbor. See, I, I take it even even broader. I hear, who is my neighbor? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being specific with the hard ones. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. because that, that doesn't let us off the hook. Um, right. As much as yes, because like, oh, I can love this person over here, and I'm just going to completely ignore the really annoying, scary person that I don't want to so face. I want to bring it back around to the legislature thing, but maybe we yeah. ought to do John Wesley first, because that kind of ties in more directly. You think? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I, you still I just, got your book. You're the book. How did you become the book person on this podcast? I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. But, you know, just the, the question of, does John Wesley have any guidance for and us? We should say John Wes- Wesley being United Methodism's founder for anybody coming across this podcast. And, and other uh, branches of Methodism, and, and, too. Yeah, I should, yeah, Methodism with, like, the whole the whole broad yeah. thing. And I should say that he's not the end all. I mean, we don't hold him the same level as, like, uh, the Bible or what God reveals to us in our experience and all of that. However, mm-hmm. there's a reason. There's a whole, there is a whole series of denominations that are founded in him because there's something worth worth saying that he brought. Yeah. yeah. And, and he had you know, he had a lot to say uh, given the, the amount of material that's been published. Oh, he was not lacking for words, no. No, no he was not. But yeah, I did a little just brief Google searching on, on different things he may have had to say about neighbors. And um, I ran across something from one of his sermons. A lot of his sermons are, are um, preserved in various publications and even given numbers. This one is... They're all on the internet, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Sermon 92 on zeal. 
And do, do some searching. You'll find it if you want to see it. Yeah, it's uh, in 1700s speak. So, you know, the, the, the words of these and those and that kind of stuff. The best part of it, if I can just interject with a total digression here, when you actually get books from that era, the uh, tradition was to print the lowercase s in what looks like an F today. Oh, yeah. So usually you end up saying, forgive us our fin. <laughs> it's like, what, am I a fish? Do I, do I have gills? <sighs> forgive us our fin. Anyway. All right. Maybe we're that's all, why they changed it to trespasses or debts and debtors. We're all a bunch of thinners. Thinners. Oh, good Lord. All right. <laughs> so on to John Wesley. Um, he, he was really big on um, what what the Christian life came down to was loving God and loving neighbor. Duh. That's, that's Jesus's answer right. to, to that. And so he wrote lots of words about it. Um and there's a quote in here. In a Christian believer, love sits upon the throne, which is erected in the inmost soul. Namely, love of God and man, man being all-encompassing of all of humanity. But right. Yeah. Uh, love of God and man, which fills the whole heart and reigns without a rival. And he then goes on to describe how uh, a Methodist would live out those two loves. Loves of Love of God is through acts of piety, worship, prayer. Um, communion, all of those things that, that will help us build that relationship with God. And then the love of neighbor, love of other fellow humans, is works of mercy. Uh, in an exterior circle, all the works of mercy, whether to the souls or bodies of men. By these we exercise all holy tempers by a continued... Yeah, that gets boring. But um, I found a little bit further on in the same sermon uh, an interesting... I don't know. I found it interesting in, in how much weight he places on acts of mercy compared to acts of piety. Yeah, I actually think this is a little controversial, this bit, if I'm thinking oh, yeah. the right bit yeah. that you're about to read. So, thus should he show, he being the Christian, thus should he show his zeal for works of piety, but much more for works of mercy, seeing God will have mercy and not sacrifice. That's a quote from Micah, I think. Uh, that is rather than sacrifice. Whenever, therefore, one interferes with the other, works of mercy are to be preferred. So, when works of piety and works of mercy interfere with each other, and I'm a little curious, wish, kind of wish he gave an example there, but... Feel, I, feel I preaching. Let's come back to that because okay. that needs that needs backstory. Uh, all right. But so, kind of what he's saying is: it, is this a wrong way to interpret that? If you have to choose one or the other, don't choose the work of piety; choose the work of mercy. That's pretty much if it. You have to choose one or the other. Yeah. And now, see that that I, I I both agree with him and disagree with him at the same time. You shouldn't like, neglect works of piety no. either, because I think that is what helps sustain us for the works of mercy, yeah, filling our cups with with that relationship with God, so that we can put up with the other humans, <laughs> <laughs> like marriage. Oh wait, wait, wait. Yeah, see, I knew you'd dig yourself back in that hole. <laughs> so, I knew it was coming. Uh, but you know, one one thing that you see sometimes are people who do nothing but works of mercy end up I don't know fly, flying off the deep end I mean that's that's one of the places oh I'm not saying this very well when you become untethered from the source of love you tend to lose track of what love really is 
Yes. And if somebody did works of mercy only and never did any piety, I would worry that their what they thought were works of mercy would get would get off track. But I don't think that's what he's saying here. No, go for it, Tim. He's, when they when they are in conflict, when one interferes with the other, I think he's saying that. Um, you should attend to both, but sometimes, you know, if you're on your way to church and somebody's Ooh, got a bring flat it in tire, the scripture story. Listen to this. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> just move aside a bit, help them out, you know, and and then go on to church. That kind of thing. Um, don't yeah, don't don't leave the guy in a ditch because you're late for worship. Or Jesus saying, if it's the Sabbath and your sheep's fallen in the well, get the poor sheep out of the darn well. This Sunday, somebody's going to come to church late and they're going to say, I'm sorry, there was this guy in the ditch. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's very plausible given the amount of rain we've gotten. The church version of the dog ate my homework. But that's another story. Uh, yeah, and that, I guess, that's my understanding. It's not an extreme. Right. He would never say no works of piety at all. There has to be a good balance. But as you're going along, if they conflict with each other, then you lean towards the mercy in those individual moments. Yeah, I just think that's a very bold, and I agree with you. And I think that is what he's trying to say there. When I first heard that, though, I was like. What? John, really? This from John Wesley? Remember that, uh, if you don't know it, most of the Methodist denominations, and I don't mean united, but like of all the denominations in the tradition of John Wesley, a great many of them are clustered together as the holiness movement Mm -hmm. because they focused so much on the works of piety. And I, I really wish we had a Nazarene or a Wesleyan or a Free Methodist. These are all holiness mm-hmm. parts of the holiness movement. I wish we had one of them here to read that little bit there. And they'd probably agree with us, too, to be honest with you. There, there um, might be some overlap, too, because I, wrote, I ran across some other quotes by John Wesley. In particular, And I don't know how this—I I may be— um, stereotyping the holiness movement. So, I, I, but he's talking about yeah. how one should dress, uh, how one should uh, attire oneself, and he said, you know, basically respectfully, but don't like go out of your way to be ornate and adorn oneself because you're essentially ripping the clothes off of another poor person to adorn yourself with riches or something like that. In his nineteen, it is seventeen hundreds speak there. Yeah, and it's. And you can take that to to an extreme, of course, in in different ways. But um, yeah, it was that was how he he looked at how people were dressing and saw that as either a work of mercy or a work of anti mercy. Right. You, you see, yeah. And it's worth saying. I mean, it's it's very much contextual. And this, I'm I'm not like conflating Wesley and the Bible here, but it's like the same things as like what we read in, you know, whichever Timothy it is about women shouldn't teach men. So, mm-hmm. you know, be quiet, dear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can do a podcast by yourself. <laughs> no, no, but it's contextual. There, yeah. there was a reason it was said in that particular time, because, per, uh, and we can only assume, but perhaps it was a step too far for that particular town. 
and it was, it's contextual. They, they are quotes taken out of context, right. but they're very wordy quotes because he's a very word, wordy person. Well, yeah, but in, in this case, I would say that there are, there have, John Wesley was writing to a very wealthy church. If any of you are mm-hmm. familiar with the Baroque area, you know, era, so you think, I'm a musician, so I think of Bach and Handel and that sort of thing, but if you can picture organs and the fancy ornateness mm-hmm. of churches in those days, this is what Wesley is talking to. He saw it as Baroque, so he had to fix it. You know I had to. You know I had to. I look for that side. So, but you mentioned you mentioned preaching in the fields. That's one of the things that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, I'm going to let you say the famous quote. Uh, I'll, I'll set you up, and then you I say remember. the oh, you'll get it. Okay. Uh, so he he sees that the poor people essentially. I, I, I'm really broad brushes, but he sees that the poor people essentially aren't welcome, but they're the ones that need to hear the gospel. And the rich people, you know, maybe their idea of mercy is giving a little money, but they're not really engaging with the people in society who really need the help. But at the same time, he was raised to believe that a sermon happened in a pulpit, that that's where church happened. In and a pulpit in a church building, consecrated right, church building. Right, consecrated. That's mm-hmm. part of it, too. Uh, you know, holy ground and all that. And so he finally makes a decision as he writes in his journal that he is going to go preach to the workers in the fields and to the coal miners. And the wonderful phrase he writes in his journal, I consented to be more vile. I consented to be more vile. He didn't even like it himself. He just recognized that it was an act of mercy that needed to happen rather than the piety of keeping mm-hmm. everything perfect inside a consecrated sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot what led me into that. <laughs> uh, That's um. all right. You get the idea, though, right? Yeah. There would be an op- there would be a time when perhaps a work oh, of piety. Oh, like holiness movement and... Right, but like maybe that's an example of when uh, of when an act of piety conflicted, you know, yes. keeping everything perfect uh, in a consecrated sanctuary with a proper proper Eucharist happening and all of that uh, conflicted with what he saw needed to be done for the good of the gospel, the act of mercy. Yeah, uh, and so he chose it. Yeah. So, I don't know where we're going in the conversation from here. <laughs> <laughs> we both looked at each other, and I go into broadcaster mode since I have a background, and you yeah. just panicked and blurted it out. And that, you know, that's what podcasts are all about. Yes. But uh, no, I think I think let's take it back to the legislature now, because I don't know I don't know what more there is to say, because at this point it's kind of loaded. Mm-hmm. The, the question's kind of loaded. Uh, but what does this say to the divisions we draw between in, in Nebraska between urban and rural, between uh, races, between all of that? I mean, you see what I mean? At this point, it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, there is. There are a lot of divisions, um, you know, along political spectrums, along various social uh, issues. Um, and I'll, I'll be frankly honest, I, I don't even know a lot of the, the issues that go into the rural-urban divide, um, but I know that we, we all need each other. and mm-hmm. um, We do. 
I don't have an answer for that. One of the great parts of being a United Methodist pastor is that so many of us start in rural churches just because that's how our denomination was founded and how our system is set up. I grew up in Wichita, a good-sized city, um, uh, bigger bigger than Lincoln, smaller than Omaha, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I would consider myself part of a more urban culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I then went to a town of 350 to serve my first church, yes. uh, and we've both, Tescott. yeah, we've Nicole. both had, yeah, uh, well, yeah, I should say hi to Tescott and uh, uh, Maryland or anybody else who might be listening. And Culver. And Culver was the other one. It was a two-point charge. Culver had 150 people, not in the church, in the town, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it was a wonderful experience. I did not know what to do with myself. It was such a different culture, but. I gained so much, and we lived in Stafford, one of the churches that you're that you served. Mm-hmm. We lived there for how many years? Five. Five years. Five years. Uh, and uh, I am so grateful for that exposure. Now that we're mm-hmm. back in a city again, I almost feel like a missionary. Like I almost a, missed the noon whistle. <laughs> the noon whistle, yeah. That I initially thought was a tornado siren. Going to church and the biggest topic of conversation is how much rain you got in different parts of your property. How many hundreds of an inch. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's something about that culture that's worth sharing and spreading mm-hmm. and that a lot of people in the city forget. And we, we need each other. Do you remember, I'm, I'm going I'm to push you here, and I hope I don't put you on the spot too much. Do you remember you preached a sermon, is this all the way back in Stafford, a sermon about Robert Frost, I think, and fences? Oh, something about a wall. No, that was that was like one of the weeks filling in for you. For me and Hutchinson? Hutch first. There but was something there- about... There's, that doesn't love a wall. Yeah, there's a phrase from Robert Frost or someone, some, something there is that doesn't love a wall or yeah. something like that. There's something artificial about the divisions that we draw between one another. Yeah. Yeah. You should go back and look up that sermon. It's I, probably good. I should, yeah. Southgate people, Dust buckle up. Off. Here it comes. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. I actually had the long, just to, just because I have to add in moral ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, I had an old farmer in one of my churches um, who heard you. Oh, it was Hutch, because there was an old farmer in that church who came to me afterwards and said, Really? Because he, through his life, recognized the importance of healthy boundaries with his neighbors. Mm, yeah. And that, to me, kind of brought in the tension that we do need to have healthy boundaries with one another. You know, good fences make good neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. But we also can't lose sight of the fact that something there is that doesn't love a wall. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, who is our neighbor? Yes. Oh, and uh, if, if we're wrapping this up, there was one yeah. other thing in my research that... Uh, I was reminded of in that uh, in in John Wesley's practices of of all the works of mercy he included in there he had extensive knowledge of the of, and the best knowledge of the day I suppose of um, medicine and and oh, healthcare yeah. he, one of his most famous published works is called Primitive Physic and you should go on Amazon and read the reviews it is hilarious oh is it really oh yeah no but and, and was, we should say he was not a doctor. 
He was not a doctor, <laughs> but I, not many people were then, really. But, but it's he, the best-selling book that he ever wrote. There are more mm-hmm. copies of it than his sermons or anything else because there was nothing on the American frontier about medicine. The people yeah, the, the, how, to, how to cure illnesses and, and treat ailments and things and, and a lot of the treatments today might kill you but <laughs> there's the best that they had then and that um, that that planted seeds for the Methodist movement in all kinds of areas of caring for people you know think about the number of Methodist hospitals across the country uh, or you know John Wesley saw the need so he wrote the book the early Methodists saw that there wasn't a hospital and so they started one. they built them yeah um, and, and in disaster relief as well. That's how we live that out as an institution with UMCOR and, and all these other things. But yes, it, it would. If, if you're looking for some entertainment, go and look up Primitive Physic on Amazon and read some of the By reviews. John Wesley. By John Wesley, yes. And, uh, you know, it's worth saying, uh, maybe this is something of an answer to the legislature question, too. I'm going to get myself in it this time. I'm not, you're I'm never not, out of it. I'm not digging it deep with you. I'm digging it deep with everybody else now. <laughs> so buckle up. But it matters what happens in the legislature. Of mm-hmm. course it matters what happens in the legislature. Yeah. But maybe the better example from Wesley and the early Methodists is don't not care what happens in the legislature, but don't care about it too much because the better thing to do is to roll up your sleeves and go do something. Yep. Go start a hospital. I don't know. what. It, define what the need is that we have today. Define the divisions that we see. And don't not care about the legislature, but I'm not, I'm not talking to Shirley here. I'm talking just in general and to myself. Mm-hmm. Quit your whining about it and go fix it yourself because that's what the Methodists do. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got nothing to say after that. I'm done. And clearly you don't either. <laughs> the lightning's going to strike me soon. We've reached the end of my, my over-preparation here. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us. As always, send in your questions to uh, Jeff at TrinityLincoln.org. Where, where are you? RevAmy at SouthgateUMC.org. And uh, we'll find topics if you don't send them, but we'd rather have yours. And besides, we might just babble endlessly if not. So yeah, You won't like what we come up with. <laughs> Good to have you all with us. We'll talk to you on Sunday or next week. All the earth sing your praises. All the earth sing your everybody.